HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexis Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so thrilled to be joined by Rick Martinez. Rick is a Mexican chef, celebrated cookbook author, New York Times bestseller, and food personality. His debut cookbook, Mi Cocina, Recipes and Rapture from My Kitchen in Mexico, is celebrating its first anniversary, and Rick is also celebrating his second James Beard Award nomination. Rick describes his cooking style as spicy, vibrant, with tropical and Mexican flair. Thank you so much for being here, Rick, and congratulations on all the recent good news. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you. Yes, it's been an incredible week. Yeah, (laughs) well, love to hear that, and just excited to be a a small part of that celebration and chatting with you today. Um, So let's. your story, I know, is like a very interesting and rich and delicious one. But if we went back to the very beginning, if you could tell us like where you grew up and what your early culinary influences were, that would be great. Awesome. No. uh, So it all began in Texas. I was born in Austin, Texas, as were my most of my family. My grandparents are actually from northern Mexico, uh, from Torreon and Monterrey. But um, my family settled in central Texas and Austin. And growing up, like food was just so much a part of our lives. My mother was an absolutely amazing cook. And she expressed her love of of friends and family through her food. And so one of my earliest memories, uh, you know, culinary memories was of her. She would pick me up from daycare. So this was like probably when I was, you know, two or three years old. She'd pick me up from daycare. We'd come home. She was a nurse uh, and she worked, you know, know, during the day. She would go into her bedroom and change clothes. 
I would go to the kitchen and I would move a chair from the dining room into the kitchen, push it up against the the stove, and I would climb up, stand in the chair um, above the stove, waiting for her. And 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 I would just like help her cook. And you know, I kind of I remember standing there, like you know, I didn't really know what was happening. Like you know, she would just tell me like stir the pot or put this in the pot or you know do this or do that, but that became, you know, a part of, um, you know, our daily afternoon ritual. And, and, you know, she just, I remember watching her, um, she didn't taste food. She just smelled it and she could tell the seasoning of a food and, and she could find balance in food simply from the aroma of what was cooking. And I just, I always thought that was amazing that she could do that. And I thought that's what you did. Um, until I got into culinary school. That's very impressive. Yeah. I mean, the only thing, the only time she never tasted it, but she would ask me or my father to taste food to find out if it had enough salt. But, you know, in terms of balance, and these were complex dishes, you know, a lot of Mexican cooking, you know, uh, moles, guisos, there's a lot of, there are a lot of ingredients, a lot of dry spices and herbs and chilies. And again, she could just, she could smell and know what, was needed or, or know if it was fine the way it was. Um, and it, it was like really surprising to me once I got into culinary school where, you know, chefs were like, taste as you go, you got to keep tasting, keep tasting. Um, and she just like, she wouldn't do it. She was like, Nope, you guys are going to taste for salt and that's it. Why did she not, she like, was there a reason she just didn't want to or I don't know. Like she seemed like she had this very sort of disdainful look whenever I said, you know, are you sure you don't want to taste? And it was it was sort of like it was that very mom look that, you know, like, A, I don't need to. And B, you know, you're my son. You need to like (laughs) back off. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like I just she just had like an amazing sense of smell. And, you know, and it I mean, the thing that like was great for me is that it taught me to use that sense uh, very early on. And so, you know, even even like as a teenager, when I was like I started baking cookies, making cakes, I knew when a cake was done or cookies were done just by the smell. And so I didn't I didn't necessarily need to, to set a timer or watch the clock um, because I could tell, you know, that there's that moment when you go from from bake to caramelization and you get like that really nice, beautiful, deep golden brown color. And I could smell that. And that I think was really learned from her, from watching her and then training myself to use my nose in that way. That is crazy impressive. And I feel like, yeah, kind of how you were mentioning in culinary school being told, I mean, that's also what I've been told my whole life is needing to taste, taste, taste like every element and every step of the way. Um, so that is interesting. I feel like I've never heard anybody doing that, like just going completely off of smell, but I feel like that's a really nice, I don't know, like, it's like you almost have a sixth sense. You have like an, a, you've honed this additional sense that not all of us are as like on with. So that's, that's super cool. And so that was a very early, early memory for you. Um, I guess, when did you decide that you wanted to like pursue food and cooking as your life's work? Um, whatever happened after you went to culinary school, what was kind of like the next steps in that journey? I wanted to cook early on. I wanted to, you know, when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do after high school, 
um, I, I seriously contemplated going to culinary school. I thought about going to the, to the CIA in um, upstate New York, Culinary Institute of America. And my parents were really like, no, 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 you need to go get a degree, get a real job, you know, be a professional. Um, my father had worked in restaurants um, in, in high school. And I think he, he felt very left out. He felt, I think he had to work, you know, he wasn't working necessarily just for like his own spending money. He was working to help support the family. And so, you know, he missed out on a lot of like, uh, you know, football and, and like uh, participating in, in school sports. And so he did not want me to go that direction. Um, and so they convinced me to, um, to go to the University of Texas uh, in Austin, where I went, and uh, I pursued liberal arts. I, I mean, I changed, I changed courses a lot. I think I went in first uh, thinking law school. Um, I, I had interned at a law firm and decided I wanted to go that direction. And that quickly changed after a semester. But, you know, like every summer, you know, I would finish a year of school and think, you know, what I really want to do is cook. And I would yeah. interview, um, I interviewed a couple of times with CIA and, um, each time I would get really excited and my parents were like, you know what, just finish your degree. And then if you want to cook afterwards, you can, but just get your degree. And so I did. And then I went, um, kind of randomly into advertising. Uh, wow. I had a friend that had gone through the advertising program at, at UT and, after she graduated, she called me and she's like, hey, do you want a job in, in advertising? And I was like, I was actually about ready to go uh, go to Europe with a bunch of friends. And we were going to like hang out after graduation and just sort of, you know, be Gen X bums uh, in Europe. <laughs> and um, <laughs> very, very slackery, I know. Um, and I was like, sure. Sounds like a vibe. Exactly. Exactly. So so I was like, sure, I'll, I'll try it. So I interviewed, and then I got this job in Dallas at, um, at uh, DDB uh, Needham, which is a, a big agency um, in New York, had an office in Dallas. And then I worked in advertising for 16 years, and that's and eventually moved to New York and, um, and kind of went that track. And, you know, the whole time, especially towards the end, and I enjoyed it and I was good at it, but, um, you know, the last few years – all I could do is think about food, like the, what I wanted to cook, what I wanted to eat, the parties I wanted to host. I started taking classes at um, ICE in New York, which I think may have changed their name, but um, uh, I can't. The Institute of Culinary Education is what it was. I don't remember. I don't know what it is now. Um, and then I started a food blog. I started taking food photography classes. And, you know, the older I got, the less of a hobby it became and the more clear it became to me that this was a passion that I couldn't hide from. And frankly, in a lot of ways, it was like coming out, you know, of the closet. When I was right. you know, 20 years old, I, you know, I kind of thought, oh, my God, there's something I couldn't think the word gay, you know, in reference to myself. But I knew that I was something that I was going to have to deal with. And then finally, as right. a the feelings got stronger. I was like, okay, I got to come out. And I felt like I had to come out again. You know, like <laughs> I need to get, I need to get out of this professional job, this, you know, professional advertising job and go follow my passion. 
And finally, at, at 38, I kind of had this weird, like, okay, if I wait until I'm 40, life is going to end because, you know, you get too old to do anything cool. <laughs> so I needed to uh, hurry up and decide what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to have any regrets. And I, I just had this idea that, you know, if I didn't at least try to do something in food professionally, that I was going to regret this for the rest of my life. And on my deathbed, there was going to be this dramatic moment that, you know, uh, woe is me. I didn't cook professionally. My one regret in life. And so I was like, fuck it. So I quit my advertising job, um, went to the, uh, um, went to culinary school, uh, in New York, French culinary Institute, which again also has changed their name. Um, and, and got my degree there. Wow. What a, what a roller coaster ride. So this was kind of later in life that you decided to pursue this. What, I mean, I guess relatively later compared to when, you know, a lot of people in the industry kind of start off young. So was that kind of interesting or I don't even know what the word is. What was that like kind of being in that sort of later phase in life than I assume some of the other students you were rubbing elbows with in classes and then kind of starting in the industry um, after already having like a full other career. Um, what was that whole situation like for you? Oh, it was, it was super hard and it was super uncomfortable and super weird and, and also super humbling. You know, I, yeah. having a professional job, you know, I was making six figures. I would had, you know, I was a VP of marketing and, you know, in my mind, I think, you know, a lot, this happens to a lot of New Yorkers, you know, you like go after the title, you go after the salary, the big apartment. And I had gotten all those things. And so I was very, you know, I had that chip on my shoulder and then to go to school again, right. To become an intern, an unpaid intern at that time, it was still legal to not pay your interns. Um, you know, I was I was working 12 hours a day at a restaurant, you know, picking herbs, um, chopping other people's knees. And these line cooks, you know, they're like 20 years old, like literally like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. I'm 38 turning 39. And to them, I'm like this senior citizen. And to <laughs> me, they're like these like stupid little kids um, that were frankly, you know, arrogant assholes. But the thing is, is that like, I recognize the fact that they knew a lot more than I did. And to go from this professional job where I was at the top to now I'm literally an unpaid intern. Um, and, and I'm helping them, um, and learning from them. I had to, I had to like knock the chip off my shoulder and I had to just like settled into this mindset that I am going to learn everything that I possibly can as degrading and as humiliating as it was at times. Um, because they knew, like they knew that, it, you know, it was fun for some of them to, you know, to boss me around. But I also think that at a certain point, they, all of the guys that I worked with, uh, all of the men and women that I worked with were after they saw how hard that I was willing to work, um, you know, they knew that this guy was going to learn and he was going to like do whatever it took. And, and I think yeah. they respected that. And so, you know, in the end it, it like, we all became friends and, and, and it was fine. But in the beginning it was, it was awful. It was, 
truly one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my entire life, just in, in every aspect. The physical demands of working in a restaurant, um, you know, going from an office environment where you're literally sitting at a desk all day to, you know, you're on your feet for 12 to 14 hours a day running around like a crazy person carrying hard boxes. Like I worked at ABC Kitchen um, right after culinary school and, you know, like the the prep kitchen was in the basement, the um, the dining room and the main kitchen were on the first floor. And, you know, we were hauling crates of, of food up and down stairs all day long. Um, so it was, it was incredibly physically and mentally demanding. Oof. Well, I commend you for going through that. As soon as you kind of told me like the situation that you decided, like at that point on, like, you know, in that age that it was time for you to go to culinary school, I was like, wow, that must've been like, for lack of a better term, like a mind fuck for like you and just like <laughs> trying to like, I mean, yeah, that feeling of like, yeah, your bosses essentially being like way younger than you and like, just being like, what the hell is happening? So I mean, I commend you for getting through that and then like turning it into what you've turned it into today. Because I, I mean, just from what you've described, and what I can imagine, it was definitely not easy. So I mean, good for you. And it sounds like you were really able to lean into that passion of yours that you kind of, like you said, didn't want to be on your deathbed regretting that you didn't do. So, I mean, looking back now, are you like really grateful that you made that leap and kind of trudged through those like tougher times? I assume. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. A hundred percent. You know, like, and I, I don't regret anything. Like I, I think that, you know, the time that I spent in advertising, the, the great thing about it is it prepared me to work in, in media. You know, you're constantly having to pitch ideas, uh, whether it's to a publisher, um, to a newspaper, to a magazine, to, you know, uh, video content creators, uh, advertisers, sponsors. You're just, you're always pitching somebody ideas. And that's what I did for 16 years. Um, and then, you know, moving into food, you know, to be able to, do what I do. It's kind of ridiculous. Like there was one point early on, I was complaining to a friend of mine, I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, this sucks. I, I have so much to do. I'm like so stressed. And my friend was like, read me your to-do list. And I was like, well, I have to make cookies. I have to make this cake. I have to make a turkey and some dressing and a pie. And he's like, fuck you. Like Literally. you're never allowed to complain to me again. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, <laughs> you're right. You know, so like, oh my it's, you know, it's still work, but I mean, I get to eat my work at the end of the day and, and it's fun and I get to shop and like play with like amazing produce. And now I get to visit amazing places and eat my way around like amazing cities. And so, you know, like it's, and, and you know, also like, I think the, I mean, just from a life perspective, being able to change careers, you know, midway like it, it just changed everything. Like my whole perspective on life changed. I felt like I was 20 years old again. And, and you know, like you get, you get reinvigorated. I got reinvigorated at 40 and now, you know, I just turned 50 and, you know, James Beard and, you know, possible TV and, and second book and, you know, YouTube series. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing, you know, and I, I don't have any, like that idea that I had in my thirties that life ends at 40 is completely gone. And now I'm like, you know what, whatever, like 50, 60, 70 are the new like 80, 90, 100. 
Wow. Yeah, that is, that's crazy. And I totally know where you're coming from with the whole like kind of complaining, not complaining, but just like commiserating with friends who are maybe in like different industries about how busy you may be. And it's like, yeah, I just had to film like six recipes today or whatever in my kitchen (laughs) at home. Like, and you know, like you and I, like we're on this end of it. So we're like, you know, like exhausted and stressed and trying to deal with it. But then, yeah, when you do put it into that perspective of just like, oh, you worked from your home kitchen and like made some food, like, wow. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like it's, I have been there a bunch of times where the other person on the receiving end of that conversation is just like, what? So definitely get that. And yeah, glad to hear that it's kind of turned around for you in the way that it has. All right, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. We mentioned the cookbook and, you know, the James Beard nominations. And I feel like you do so many different things with this line of work. But I guess how have you been able to wrap your mind around what your like voice is in this industry? Because I know it can be super overwhelming. It's like, yeah, you got to be on all the platforms and then also like consider the books and then also like do this. And then the other thing I know it can be like super, super a lot to handle. So how have you kind of managed where to put your focus on in this industry? You know, I think for um, for the duration of the book and probably the majority of, of the last few years, I've really been concentrated on, you know, understanding Mexico, Mexican food, culture, my own personal identity within this country, you know, and that's obviously part of the big part of the reason why I ended up moving here. Um, and, you know, and I, but... I've also been mindful, like, I don't want to get pigeonholed. And, I mean, to an extent, I kind of don't care. But then to another extent, I I realize that, you know, it is business and I need to be aware of these things. I think for me, what I have learned about myself relative to life and also specifically food is that I'm just insatiably curious. And whether it's, you know, uh, a farm in, in Mexico or Thailand or Iowa you know, I want to go learn from that farmer. I want to go find out what they're, what they're growing, what they're eating, how they're cooking it, who they're selling it to, what they're doing with it. Um, I want to see how food is produced in other places. I want to see how the, the mixtures of, of different cultures, di- different generations produce different cuisines, how those cuisines change and evolve over time. So to me, like I'm, I'm always learning and I, you know, my food 
is is always changing. So, you know, like there are certain things that I, I love, like I, I love, as I said, or as you said in the beginning, you know, I love sweet, spicy, salty, tart, bright, citrusy flavors. Yeah. Um, to me, I see food as, you know, a melody, like with highs and lows. Um, and whether it's a dessert or a starter or a main dish, like I, I need every bite to just have to just play this song in my mouth. And, and I develop my recipes like that, uh, with lots of different layers. And so I take that with me, that, that sort of, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's not necessarily a blueprint, but it's something that I feel like I, I love about eating. And, you know, if I can find foods from different places, different cultures, different peoples that, um, that, you know, hit on all those, those notes, I'm, I'm excited by it. And so, uh, so I think that's kind of where I am in my current stage of development. I just want to explore and learn more, um, and cook more. I'm going to push myself out of my comfort zone and, and do things that I've never done before. Love that. And I love that evolution for you and, um, kind of like taking it to those next steps and doing those things, but also like having that lens of like where you come from and like paying homage to that. And then also like pushing the envelope on these like cool, zesty, zingy flavors. And yeah, I think it's all just very cool. So with your book and the fact that you have, you know, so many publications that you work with and whatnot, is it kind of surreal for you to based on your whole story now knowing that so many people are like cooking your food in their own home? It is. And I think it's probably not even so much that it's my food as it is like food that it's not that this food is, is, uh, a a lot of these dishes that are in the book come from small towns in Mexico that are known by, by Mexicans, obviously, but not really by Americans. And so when I see these dishes being made, um, in, in more like mainstream America or, uh, you know, home cooks in the U S that makes me happy because I feel like, you know, part of what I wanted to do, you know, when I when I pitched the idea for the book is people love people in the United States love Mexican food, but they're only aware of, you know, five or at that time they were only aware of a very few number of dishes. And and I think that because of the trajectory of Mexican food in the United States, a lot of Mexican chefs. Uh, Mexican-American chefs in the U.S. are are really, like, evolving the cuisine. And then I think probably, at least I hope, Mi Cocina had some part in, in pushing that evolution, at least from a home cook's perspective. But it just makes me super happy when I see people making these recipes. And, you know, and I don't know, it's like, it's so, it's so gratifying. I've also heard from people, uh, from, you know, followers and fans that have said, you know, like I, I showed your book to my my grandmother, my uh, my my aunt in in this little town in Veracruz, and she couldn't believe that this particular guiso or this taco was uh, or tamal was in your book, and you know because this person ate that growing up, and and so I don't know, it just that is very gratifying to me. I want people to know how beautiful Mexican cuisine is, and so anytime I can help promote how beautiful the culture and cuisine is. I'm, I'm there for it. 
beautiful. Absolutely love that. And it's, yeah, it's a very beautiful, beautiful thing. And I don't think we chatted about this earlier. So you were born in Mexico and then moved here? Or what was that? What what age were you? Or I, I think I glossed over that on accident. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, no. So I, uh, I was born in Austin, Texas. My parents were also from Austin. Got it. Got it. But there was your family that is from Mexico before you, correct? My grandparents, my, my parents, um, and my brother and I were all, uh, born in Texas. Um, yeah. And like, you know, growing up in Texas, the thing that was weird is that, you know, we were labeled by other people as Mexicans, right? Like it wasn't that we identified as Mexicans, we were Mexican American, but, you know, growing up, like I was always the Mexican kid in the Mexican family. And I just assumed after having heard that all of my life uh, that we ate food that Mexicans ate. And then the first time, you know, like we as a family, we had gone to to border towns like Progreso and um, uh, Matamoros and and Juarez. But I'd never gone to any of the interior cities or further into the central part of the country until I was in my 20s. And so. The first time I went to, you know, Guadalajara, Mexico City, uh, San Miguel de Allende, Guanajuato, I, you know, I'm looking around and no one looked like my family. And the food that we were eating was not anything like what I grew up with, which, you know, I I realize now was Tex-Mex food. But, you know, at that time in the 70s, it wasn't really labeled Tex-Mex. It was more Mexican and and that that was kind of like that was what started this disconnect is like okay i don't i don't know who i am i don't know what i am like i don't know where my family comes from i don't know where this food comes from i don't know where our family traditions come from and so that had been like kind of living inside me and and i knew that at some point in my life i wanted to go on some kind of self discovery trip uh into mexico and find out you know what it is that i am and, and I think that, you know, for, for me now today, you know, I went through, I've gone through different phases in my life where like, you know, I'm, I'm very, very American or I'm very, very Mexican. And, and today I feel like I am Mexican American. Like I, I, there, there's like, there are just things that I, I cannot deny. I grew up in Texas. I'm very Texan. I'm also yeah. gay. That is a part of my story. Um, I, you know, I love Tex-Mex food. I love Central Texas food. Um, but now I also understand more about Mexico. And I, I also feel very connected to Mexico. Um, so it's like there are all these different parts of me and that's and that makes up my identity. And I can't deny them. And and I'm going to celebrate all of them and I'm going to lean into all of them, you know, whenever I want, because that's that's who I am. And I think my food is informed by all of that. It can't not be right. Like I can't, I can't deny it. Just like I can't deny it in my life. I can't deny it. Like when I think about, um, the foods that I like to eat. Um, right. And it's, it's fine. I think, I think that's what makes everyone's food unique. Um, and certainly in, in my case, um, you know, all of those different loves that I have, you know, 20 years in New York, my time in, in, uh, Mexico, my time in central Texas, that all informs the food that I want to eat and cook. 
Oh, wow. Well, it's very, it's a pleasure to hear you talk about that because it's so well-spoken and eloquent. And I know a, a lot of people who kind of also have that same, I, you know, identity crisis of sorts where, you know, you are, you live somewhere and you're, you know, of a nationality, but you don't really fit one mold or the other. And I feel like that's such a big part of so many people here in this country and their story. And so it's very delightful to hear you explain that in such a beautiful way. And I'm like, so happy to hear that you've been able to like mesh all those aspects of your character and your personality and your background together. And I guess the only thing I'm surprised about is that you have literally not even a shred of a Southern accent. That is <laughs> shocking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it comes back when I go home. I just as an aside, um, I had just moved to New York um, I was like, I think it was 27 years old and I had gotten into an argument with a, one of my coworkers at an advertising agency that I worked in. And during my argument, I said, y'all. And oh, I think boy. I might've had at that moment, um, a slight accent and everyone <laughs> that was listening just stopped, like shocked that I said that word out loud. And I was just like, oh my God. And I, I realized at that moment, I was like, I think I just lost this argument. So that that moment for me kind of took y'all out of my my uh, lexicon at that time. So, but anyway, oh gosh. It, it comes and goes. There was no coming back from that at that point, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> but you know what? That's Whatever. It's like I say y'all when I need to say y'all. Now it's it's fine. Sometimes it's the only way to do it. That's it. Just exactly. it does what it needs to do. Saying y'all. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, your story is so incredible and like super super inspiring to hear how you again were able to mesh all these parts of yourself but then also make these changes to pursuing your passion after already having an entire career so I hope that anybody listening to that realizes that you know if they're considering something similar it's you know it might not be too late and I know that's always you know a tough thing for people who are stuck in a job that they may not like you know no, it's never too late. I mean, honestly, like, I mean, if I, you know, I know now that if I decide when I am 80 years old that I want to make another change, I'm going to do it because yes. it doesn't matter. Like, you know, like it, you, you need to do the things that make you happy. I mean, one of the, one of the most profound things that I discovered about myself and about my age group, you know, like I think everybody in their late thirties, early forties goes into kind of their, their midnight midlife crisis Yes. And I think the at least in my group of, of friends and cohorts, like I felt like there were two groups of people. There were the people that were unhappy about something like myself and wanted to make a change and then did it. And then there was everybody else that just eventually accepted whatever it was that were that was making them unhappy and then just kept going. And whether that was an unhappy marriage, an unhappy work situation you know, uh, whatever those things may be. And they just, to me, it's like, it's the most sad life to accept something that you don't like. And, and once you do it, it just opens up an entire new world that, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I will continue in this line of work until it no longer makes me happy. And then I will do something else that makes me happy. And it doesn't matter how old I am. Um, because I know I've done it before and I know that I can do it again. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that. I had a similar, but way less in now in hindsight that we're talking about this, I guess, dramatic 
endeavor myself. I used to be a TV news reporter and I decided that, you know, I hated it and I really wanted to get into food media. So I was 25 at the time and I really thought, you know, like, oh my God, this is the end of the world that I'm starting all over. But (laughs) then of course, (laughs) I'm sure, yeah, we, you and I can both laugh at that now that when I was 25, I thought that was like a huge, huge, like deal for me to, you know, cut my losses and just leave the industry. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's true. Like no matter how old you are, you know, wanting to pursue what you love is, you know, I feel like is always going to be worth it or else you'll, you know, again, regret it and feel like you didn't get to go down that road that you always kind of felt that you could. So yeah, I just hope that anybody listening kind of realizes the same thing and we all deserve to be happy and love what we do. Don't you think? Amen. Just go out and do it. Yes, I love that. Well, is there anything else important about your story, your journey, any upcoming projects, anything that I didn't ask you about yet? Um, no, there is like so a part of uh, one thing that's happening next week that I am very excited about. Um, I shot a new season of Brevalo, uh, which is on the Babish Culinary Universe channel YouTube channel. And for this season, um, we shot 12 episodes in Mexico City. And so I'm basically going to all of my favorite places in Mexico City and just eating, exploring, cooking, learning. Uh, and then I come back to Mazatlan and, and use what I've learned and eaten to, to create new recipes. So I'm really excited. The, the first episode of the new season comes out on May 4th. All right. Love that. And yeah, you're, you're always up to something. I had a feeling that you'd be cooking up something exciting (laughs) regardless. I mean, lots of, lots of balls up in the air, lots of good things happening, lots of fun stuff to celebrate. And yeah, I'm just, you know, again, excited to be a small part of this like exciting moment for you and just all this amazing stuff going on and like celebrating the, the fruits of your hard work and just kind of like a, beautiful outlook and a beautiful story. So yeah, just very, very happy for you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook, author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.